Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to Mile Higher Podcast, episode 196. Today, we are talking about Audrey Marie Hilly, the Black Widow of Alabama. And this one is pretty crazy, you guys. Audrey is... Ooh. Crazy. Yeah, she really <laughs> is. There's really no other word for it. Uh, a lot of uh, twists and turns in this one, for sure. But we're going to just go ahead and jump right into this one here. This episode of Mile Higher Podcast is brought to you by Native, Tushy, Shopify, and HelloFresh. So let's start by talking about where Audrey Marie Frazier, which is what her birth name was, where did she come from? She came from Aniston, Alabama, born on June 4th, 1933. She usually just went by her middle name, Marie, so that's what we'll be referring to her mostly in this episode. Her parents were Lucille and Huey Frazier, and Marie was an only child, but she spent most of her time playing with her cousins who lived near Aniston. Which I looked up Aniston, Alabama, because I'm always just curious at where some of these places I've never heard of are and what they're like, and this is like one of the worst cities apparently to live in in Alabama. And really? It has like one of the highest crime rates. It's just a... Uh, and I don't know what it was like in the 1930s, but um, I'm sure it was not too much going on out there. It's a pretty small town. So Marie came from a lower class family, and Aniston in general is just a more poor town with high poverty rates. For a while, her dad worked while her mother stayed home to take care of her. But times got rough, and work became hard to find. So Lucille had to pick up a job to help provide for their family as well. And while her parents were off at work, Marie would spend a lot of her time with her cousins and their grandmother, Lucille. Marie was sweet for the most part when she was younger, like her dad, but she still knew how to get her way. Marie was the youngest of the cousins, and although most of them were boys, she did not let them push her around. In fact, Marie was tough. She earned the boys' respect from a very young age. And despite her toughness, Marie was definitely still a girly girl. She was feminine, and she really liked wearing dresses. She was very ambitious, and she constantly was seeking better social status. And growing up, Marie was always very popular, always in with the cool social circle, and her drive and confidence stayed with her throughout her entire life. Her other female cousin, Robbie, was the opposite. Robbie had three older brothers, so she was very much a tomboy. But that worked out in Robbie's parents' favor because they didn't have enough money to buy her girls' clothing. Of course, Marie's parents also struggled with money. But even though their family didn't have a lot, Marie was incredibly spoiled. She got new dresses and clothes fairly often. That was pretty uncommon for other kids her age, especially during this time period. And Marie took tap dance lessons after school and she would perform her new skills to Robbie and her aunt and uncle when she would go to their house after practice. Despite how much her parents worked, they still cared about her a lot. They even moved five miles down the road so she could attend a better school, which was Quintard Junior High. Marie went through puberty sooner than most girls her age, so she caught the attention of many of the boys at the school. She was even voted prettiest girl by her classmates when she was 14, but Marie definitely had a mean streak. Once she bit her cousin when he refused to share a piece of cake with her. One day, though, she met a boy named Frank Hilly. He was charmed by her good looks and confident personality. Frank was 18 years old when he and Marie went on their first date. And from there, everyone knew that they were going to get married one day. And that's, in fact, what they did. On May 8th, 1951, they got married. Frank was in the Navy for the first part of their marriage, and Marie worked as a secretary to an attorney in Boston. But in 1952, the couple found out that Marie was pregnant. So they decided to move back to Anniston, Alabama to be near their families when they raised the baby. They ended up having a baby boy 
named Michael Hilly, who was born in 1953. And like his mother, Michael, or as they called him Mike, spent a lot of time with his grandmother while Marie and Frank worked to put food on the table. Frank worked in the shipping department at a local foundry, and Marie had a secretary job at Alabama Gas. But one day, Marie had a disagreement with one of her coworkers, and she ended up losing her job over it. Marie really stopped trusting women after she was fired. She thought her female coworkers went behind her back to get her fired, and things got worse for Marie in 1965 when her father died. Tensions really started to rise in the Hilly family at that point, and Frank definitely liked to drink, but his alcohol use just began to get worse over time. Frank had recently been promoted, and most of the men he worked with would gather after work to drink some beer. It wasn't uncommon for their wives and children to join them during these evenings. So Mike witnessed some of the fights his father's drinking caused. One night in particular, Frank had one too many drinks, and he threw up outside of the family car. And this caused a huge fight between him and Marie. Frank apparently laid on the concrete and told Marie that she should just run him over with the car if she was so angry. And then Marie tried to. She actually tried to hit Frank, but a friend pulled him out of the way before she could do it. I was going to say, don't, don't ask her to do that. I know. She's like, okay, bitch. Their marriage was strained even further after they suffered a miscarriage in the late 1950s. But in 1960, they got pregnant again, and Marie gave birth to their daughter, Carol Marie, that year. The Hillies were an all-American family on the outside. Their children were polite and very well-behaved, and they seemed like the perfect family. But that was definitely not the case. Mike was clearly Marie's favorite. She didn't really express that same love for her daughter, and she wasn't as nurturing or loving with Carol. Her expectations for Carol were a lot higher than her expectations for Mike. The rejection Carol felt from her mother hurt her deeply. None of it seemed fair. And as a result, Carol started acting out and rebelling against her mom. And Marie definitely didn't like that. Marie was always a star student growing up, and she was very popular. But Carol, on the other hand, struggled a lot in school, and this made Marie very disappointed in her. That disappointment led her to become cold and controlling towards her daughter. She constantly tried to control what Carol wore and who she hung out with. Carol was also trying to figure out her sexuality. She realized that she was more attracted to women than men, and Carol knew that her mother would not accept that at all, so she tried her best to hide her sexuality from her mom. It was pretty clear that Marie resented Carol, but there was definitely a lot more issues going on in the Hilly family. Marie always needed to be viewed as the prettiest, most popular person because status was very important to her. So it's no surprise that Marie was kind of a social climber who did everything she could to keep up the family image. She knew one couple that was a lot wealthier than the Hillies, and Marie loved being associated with them. She wanted everyone to know they were friends. In Marie's mind, being friends with them would make her wealthy through association. But having wealthy friends wasn't enough. Marie wanted her family to look like they were wealthy too, and she developed a terrible spending problem as a result. Marie would frequently buy fancy new clothing from the most expensive stores. She also wanted to do costly remodels to their home to keep up with their friends and neighbors. But the Hillies still lived in a very working-class area. It was pretty unheard of for people to spend money on luxurious clothes and home improvements, and the family wasn't making enough money to spend the kind of money that Marie was blowing through. But even though her spending habits were draining the family's bank account, Frank couldn't say no to her, or maybe he didn't have a choice. The money needed to come from somewhere, though, and Marie started taking out loans in Frank's name. She used a strong credit to go to multiple loan officers, and when she borrowed up to the loan limit, she would ignore the bills and open a new account elsewhere. 
Somehow, all of this excessive spending just still wasn't enough for Marie and her expensive tastes. She would constantly tell Frank how unloved she felt. And according to Marie, Frank was just a bad husband and her kids didn't care about her the way that they should. The Hillies were really just far from being a happy family. But Mike eventually went off to college and got married, separating himself from the rest of the family, which was good for him. But unfortunately, that meant Carol was left to deal with her mother on her own. The situation was really difficult for her. But Carol did get a bit of an escape, though. One of her friends at the time was a girl named Sonia, and they spent a lot of time together. Getting out of the house and away from Marie was always a breath of fresh air for Carol. But one day, in February of 1974, Sonia became terribly sick. She had a high fever, and her legs were so weak that she couldn't walk. Sonia's lips and fingernails actually turned blue. So she was, of course, rushed to the hospital in Anniston, but her condition was really bad by the time she got there. The doctors immediately called in an emergency helicopter to take her to another hospital in Birmingham for more intense treatment. Tragically, though, Sonia died before even making it to the hospital. Obviously, losing her friend was incredibly heartbreaking for Carol. Sonia's death turned Carol's world upside down. She became very depressed. But eventually, her grieving process grew easier, and life did move forward. We will continue with this case after a quick break from our sponsors. So around Thanksgiving of that same year, 1974, Frank ended up getting five tickets to a football game. So he invited Mike, Mike's wife Terry Henderson, and her parents to join him. And at the game, Frank brought something up that had been on his mind lately. He told Mike that he and Marie were not happy. They were always fighting, and he thought something was seriously wrong with her. Frank wanted his wife to see a doctor or a psychiatrist, but he was kind of afraid of her and didn't want to bring it up. Around the same time that year, Frank ran into a friend of his in town, and this friend noticed that Frank didn't look like himself. He seemed pale and thinner than usual. He asked Frank if everything was okay, and Frank said that he was fine. For the past few weeks, he'd been experiencing some painful headaches and nausea, but he said he had visited his doctors and they couldn't figure out what was causing his symptoms. So he figured, you know, he'd start feeling better sooner or later, that he was just going through something. And then in spring of 1975, Frank and Mike went out on a golf trip and they were out on the greens when Frank brought up his concerns about Marie again. The couple's fighting had gotten even worse by that point. It seemed like Frank was really holding back from saying more, but Mike didn't want to force his dad to say anything that he didn't want to. So he kind of just brushed it off. Mike figured, you know, it was normal for couples to fight, especially people who had been married as long as his parents had. And he didn't have any reason to believe it was more than typical marital problems. They parted ways and that was it. A few months later, Mike and Terry got pregnant. And Frank called up Mike and told him that he was going to drop off some maternity clothes for Terry. And he also told Mike that there was something he needed to tell him. But on the day that Frank was supposed to bring these maternity clothes over to Mike and his wife, Mike ended up getting a call from Marie. And she said that Frank had some stomach issues that day and wouldn't be coming. So then a few weeks later, Frank and Mike met up again for another afternoon of golf. Mike asked Frank what it was that he wanted to tell him. And that's when Frank dropped a bombshell. He had actually caught Marie cheating on him. Another day, Frank's stomach was really bothering him and he left work early. That's when he came home and actually walked in on Marie having sex with her boss, Walter. Mike was completely shocked. Frank told him that he and Marie never really discussed the incident after it happened. But Mike obviously wanted to know more. 
but their day of golfing was over. So Frank agreed to meet up with his son the next weekend. But the following weekend, Mike got the same call from Marie. Frank was sick again, and he couldn't play that day. Frank's health started to decline pretty rapidly at this point. He had a high fever, chills, diarrhea, dizziness, and other painful symptoms. At one point, his skin even started turning yellow, and Frank became so disoriented that he needed to be hospitalized. The doctors diagnosed Frank with a liver malfunction. They said that his symptoms were probably the result of infectious hepatitis, so they tried to treat that condition. Frank was still extremely weak, and he couldn't do anything on his own. Mike and Marie stayed with him in the hospital that day, but Mike had work in the morning, so he decided to go home and get some rest. But as soon as he got home, he felt very uneasy. Mike didn't think there were enough doctors around to help his dad. He also wasn't sure if his mom was strong enough to hold him up and take him to the bathroom. The uneasy feeling kept nagging at him, and Mike drove back to the hospital. But by this point, it was sadly too late. Frank Hilly died on May 25, 1975, at 45 years old. His cause of death was ruled as infectious hepatitis. What was weird, though, is that catching infectious hepatitis was actually pretty rare and then dying from it was another thing. Frank's condition was now a public health issue because you got an infectious bacteria on the loose. The county health inspectors actually visited his workplace to try and figure out where and how Frank could have actually been infected with hepatitis, but they couldn't find any trace of the bacteria anywhere. A day after Frank's death, Mike's wife Terry became very sick as well. She chalked it up to morning sickness at first. Marie insisted on taking care of her daughter-in-law as she worked through this mystery illness. Terry was so sick that she didn't have much of an appetite, but Marie insisted that she keep eating anyway for the health of the baby. She cooked Terry's soup and made sure that she ate it all. Eating didn't seem to help, though. Terry only got sicker and sicker. She became extremely weak, and Marie brought her to the hospital. The doctors were worried that she'd caught hepatitis from Frank. They wanted to try and treat Terry with a particular shot for hepatitis, but first they needed to know if this injection would cause any harm to the baby, so they had to check with her gynecologist first. And Marie offered to make the call herself. She reported back to the doctors and said that Terry's OBGYN approved of the shot. So they gave Terry the injection, and her condition seemed like it was improving. She was eventually discharged back to Marie's house. Things started to get worse again when Terry went back to Marie's. She got sicker and she needed to be hospitalized again. And tragically, she suffered a miscarriage there. Terry ended up at the hospital a total of four times while she stayed at Marie's house with Mike. Marie's overdue bills were piling up at an astronomical level at this point when Frank had passed. But luckily for her, Frank had life insurance. Marie was the beneficiary of approximately $31,000. So she used some of this money to pay off many of her bills. But she also used the majority of the funds to keep up appearances. Losing her husband did not stop Marie from her excessive spending. She bought a new car and tons of new clothes. Marie spent most of the money on herself, but she did use some of it for her family. She bought her mother, Lucille, a new diamond ring, and she gifted Mike several $300 suits. And when Carol was old enough to drive, she ended up buying her a new car. Everyone was very fragile after Frank died, except for Marie. Carol was especially upset over Frank's death. She needed the comfort of her mother to support her through the grieving process, but that wasn't the type of love Marie could give to her daughter. Instead of emotional support Carol truly needed, Marie gave her material things instead. 
Marie was incredibly materialistic. She thought those nice things would make Carol happy the way they made her happy. But they didn't make her happy at all. Luxury goods wouldn't fill the hole in Carol's heart, but of course, Marie thought her grieving daughter was just ungrateful for all of the things she did for her. Lucille was diagnosed with breast cancer only days after Frank died, and Marie offered to care for her mother. As part of Lucille's treatment, Marie gave her mother injections, and she said that Lucille's doctor permitted the shots. Meanwhile, Marie began confiding in Frank's sister, Frida, pretty regularly. She would tell Frida that everyone was working against her, and that she was having issues at work, and there were just a bunch of strange things happening to her. Marie said that she was getting some nuisance phone calls. When she answered the phone, nobody on the other line would speak. She said she even came home one day and found the drawers in her kitchen wide open, as if someone had been rummaging through her things. Frida decided that she needed to let Mike know what was going on with his mother, so he could take care of it. And after speaking with Marie, Mike decided it was best if he and Terry moved back to Aniston to live with Marie, Carol, and Lucille for the time being. So Mike accepted a position at a ministry in Aniston, and he and Terry made the move. But with everyone under the same roof, things started to get tense. So Mike decided he and Terry should find a place to stay in a nearby apartment complex instead. Marie was not happy about this, though. She told him she felt abandoned, but he insisted it was the right move. The night before he and Terry moved into the apartment, though, a fire broke out at the house. Nobody was home at the time, as Mike and Terry were at church. Carol was with a friend, and Marie and Lucille were out for a drive. A neighbor saw smoke coming out of the house and called 911. The smoke caused so much damage that Marie, Carol, and Lucille were forced to move into Mike and Terry's new place. And they actually lived together for a month until Marie's home was safe to live in again. But the night before they left, a fire broke out in the apartment next to Mike's. What are the chances of that? The smoke made its way into Mike's unit and caused a lot of damage. So he and Terry were forced to move back home with Marie, Carol, and Lucille. And nobody was ever able to determine how either fire started. Seems very sketchy to me. Seems like somebody might be starting that. What are the chances that it starts at Marie's house? A fire just randomly breaks out. And then they move all out of there to, to Mike's new place. And then mm-hmm. another fire starts. Mm-hmm. Come on. Yeah. That's, there's no way that's just bad luck no especially when you start seeing the other things that happened later on yeah eventually lucille's condition got worse and she died in early january 1977 not long after her mother died marie claimed that these strange occurrences started up again she called the police department and complained that she smelled gas fumes in her house and a few days later she called the aniston police and told them that a small fire had broken out in her closet the police arrived at her house and found no sign of a break-in and the fire caused almost no damage. A small fire broke out in... In the closet. The closet? Not caused by anything. Didn't cause any damage either? No. It's like she wanted somewhere for it to be contained. Yeah. <laughs> Marie sued the Alabama Gas Company for $75,000 over the fires. And she didn't win the lawsuit, but she did collect some insurance payout. So she's blaming the gas company for the mm-hmm. fires? In the closet. <laughs> yeah. Because that's where the gas is. Yeah. So two days later, after this fire broke out in her closet, Marie's neighbor Doris called 911 when a small fire broke out in her closet. Again, the police found no sign of forced entry, and the fire didn't do a lot of damage. All the fires seemed like they were completely unexplainable. So after this, for the next couple of weeks, Marie began calling the police with complaints of nuisance phone calls, break-ins, and even a threatening note that was left on her doorstep. 
Aniston police officers came to her house every time. Marie would always offer them a coffee and food for their troubles. And they thought that Marie's complaints were strange, but she was such a nice woman that they had no reason to not believe her. One of the officers, a man named Billy Atherton, took an interest in Marie. Billy was well known to sleep with almost any woman that would let him. And Marie, of course, was no exception. Marie and Billy began having sex. And when she would call the Aniston police, she would always specifically ask for Billy by mm, name. Of course. Some of that Billy D. Ew. <laughs> <laughs> she told him that these nuisance phone calls were coming in every day. And Doris also said that she was getting these phone calls. These calls happened so frequently that the police decided to put a trace on their phone lines. But every time the trace was on, the calls would just miraculously stop. And as soon as they removed the traces, the calls would start up again. But finally, a trace on Doris's phone worked. And the calls had been coming in from the place where Marie worked. Jenkins Manufacturing. So the police confronted Marie about the calls because... Obviously, they're coming from her, coming from her workplace. But she denied that she had anything to do with them. She was able to convince the police that she was innocent. In 1977, two years after Frank's passing, Mike and Terry decided that it was time to leave Anniston, Alabama again. They wanted to move to Florida and start a family. Not long after their move, Marie went down to visit. She told her son that she wanted to move to Florida too. But she was worried Carol would be against the idea. But somehow, Marie was able to convince Carol to go with her. And so, she and her mom moved to Florida a day after she graduated high school. And by this point, the money from Frank's life insurance had run out, and Marie was unemployed. So she asked Mike to borrow $600 and claim that she'd pay him back soon. She was also super vague about what she needed the money for. But Mike agreed to lend her the money. Apparently, though, it wasn't enough for her. She also took the spare credit card that she found in their kitchen. The Hilly family argued a lot when they all lived together, so of course the bickering continued when they all moved to Florida. Carol was trying to live a normal adult life, but Marie was still doing everything in her power to control her. Terry ended up getting pregnant again, and her parents came to visit after she had the baby. And they noticed that Marie was very moody and withdrawn during their visit. They couldn't pinpoint exactly what it was, but something was definitely off. That same visit, Terry became sick again. This time it was her kidneys. But Marie didn't want to stay and take care of her daughter-in-law like she did the first time Terry was sick. Instead, she told Mike that she and Carol would be moving back to Aniston after all. And Mike didn't put up a fight, and they moved back again. Marie then took out a $25,000 life insurance policy on herself and a $14,000 policy on Carol when they returned to Aniston. She also needed a car, so she used Mike's money to purchase a $500 used Toyota Corolla. Marie then tried taking out a loan to buy herself a car. But the loan officer turned her down and said that she still owed more than $3,000 on the loan she had already taken out years prior. To help save money, Marie and Carol moved in with Frank's mother, Carrie, his sister, Frida, and her daughter, Lisa. The agreed-upon arrangement was that Marie would pay half of the utility bills, but whenever Carrie gave Marie her half of the money, she pocketed it instead of paying the bill. Carrie would confront Marie over the unpaid bills, but Marie's excuse was always that she had just forgotten to pay the bill and that she'd take care of it right away. But people started to suspect that Marie was actually gambling all of her money away. Meanwhile, Carol was starting to feel very sick. Carrie had also been pretty sick recently. Carol didn't want to make things about her, so she did her best not to draw attention to herself. But her illness just kept getting worse, and it got to the point where Carol couldn't keep it a secret from her mom anymore. They brought her to the ER, and 
she was administered something for nausea. She went home that day feeling much better. But Carol continued to get sick on and off that summer. Every time she would see a doctor, they couldn't figure out what was wrong. But they usually were able to give her something to ease her symptoms and kind of send her on her way. Being sick all the time, though, really took a toll on Carol. She was so tired of all of this random and unexplained illness, especially because it kept her from seeing her friends and living a normal life. But to cheer her up, Marie told Carol that she would buy her dream car for her. Carol was beyond excited. Her relationship with her mom was never great, but she was truly thankful for this. Marie told her that this car would take four weeks before it arrived from the dealership. She said she would use that time to come up with the money to pay for it. Carol knew that money was an issue, but Marie always seemed to figure out a way to make ends meet. When the four weeks were up, Carol woke up feeling like it was Christmas morning. She was so excited that she didn't even want to eat breakfast, but of course, Marie made her eat anyway. But on the way to get the car, Carol got violently sick and started throwing up out of the window. But by the time Marie pulled over and let her out of the car, Carol's arms were too weak to even open the door. Marie told her that she was too sick to get this new car. Carol tried to put up a fight because she was so set on getting the car, but she realized that there was no way that she'd have the strength to even drive it back home. So she agreed to just be taken to a doctor instead. So of course the doctors ran a bunch of tests on Carol, but they all came back normal. The doctor said her symptoms were just caused by stress. It took her a few days to heal, and when she was strong enough again, Carol looked forward to getting that new car. But again, halfway through the drive, she began feeling nauseous and lightheaded, and Marie pulled over to a convenience store and told Carol she would grab something to help with the pain. She poured some medicine into an empty Tylenol bottle she had in her car and gave it to Carol. Carol watched the medicine fizz up before she drank it. It burned going down her throat, and Carol immediately got much sicker, and Marie said that they had to go home again. The money-making schemes continued over the next few weeks. Marie exploited friends, family, and coworkers for money by claiming she needed help paying Carol's medical bills. She even told a few people that her daughter had leukemia. In reality, all of this money was definitely not being used to help her daughter. Carol's mysterious illness was not the only thing causing issues in the household. Tensions grew in the house when a sleeping bag on top of the washing machine caught fire one day. Luckily, the fire caused no major damage, but Marie told Frida that she had removed the alarm batteries. Apparently, they were making a noise that bothered her, and she'd forgotten to put them back in. Which, Frida was very pissed about this, but Marie apologized. And it had turned out that Marie had taken out a $3,000 insurance policy on some furniture in the house not long before the fire started. And the family was quickly starting to lose their patience with Marie. She kept trying to manipulate each person more and more for money. Once, she even tried to get her underage niece to co-sign a loan with her. But what was weird is that people's anger towards Marie always subsided when Carol would get sick again. So Marie took advantage of this and used her daughter's illness as a sympathy tool or get-out-of-jail-free card. By 1979, Carol had been in and out of the regional medical center a handful of times. Doctors just couldn't figure out why she was so sick. They knew things at home weren't great, and so they started thinking her sickness was psychosomatic. Maybe her stress was causing physical symptoms that didn't stem from actual physical illness. But just constantly battling this mystery illness exhausted Carol, both emotionally and physically. She started to grow depressed and hopeless. It seemed like she was never going to get better. And one day, Carol attempted suicide by swallowing a bottle of Tylenol. Her attempt was thankfully unsuccessful, 
But to the doctors, Carol's suicide attempt only confirmed their belief that mental health was causing her physical health issues. So she was sent to be treated at a psych ward. Mike heard about the sleeping bag fire and his sister's declining health. He was also notified that someone sold a car registered in his name before paying off the loans. But Mike never sold a car, let alone take out loans for one. So he decided to pay the family a visit in Aniston and see what the fuck was going on. He knew Marie was behind it, and he wanted to confront her about the money. Marie had an explanation like she always did. She said the money was tied up in some stocks, but she would go to the bank with him the next morning and get money for him. So that morning, the two of them had breakfast together and then headed to the bank like Marie promised. But Mike got extremely nauseous during the car ride there. He also felt dizzy and weak. He had to go back to Florida before he even had the chance to go to the bank to get the money back. Meanwhile, Carol was really starting to feel like her mom was smothering her. Her mom was taking care of her, but her controlling behavior was bad enough that Carol decided to get an apartment of her own. Marie didn't want her daughter to move out, but she was set on having her own place, understandably. Carol ended up getting her way, and she moved into her new apartment. But as you can probably guess, Marie didn't leave her be for very long. She slowly began moving her belongings into Carol's place, and before she knew it, she moved in, and they were living together once again. Carol's doctors gave her medication to help with her mysterious illness, and she was allowed to take a certain amount a day. But Carol became violently ill at the apartment one day. She told her mom she couldn't wait another four hours for more medication. Marie miraculously had the perfect solution. She told Carol that her doctor had given her permission to administer special injections to help her feel better. So she gave one to Carol right away. Days after this injection, Carol's condition worsened significantly. Her fingers and toes went numb and she was too weak to walk on her own. Carol once again had to return to the regional medical center and her symptoms led her doctor to believe that she was actually suffering from heavy metal poisoning. But before they could run any tests, Marie discharged Carol from their care. She claimed that the medical team had been no help to them in the past, so they weren't going to do any better now, and that the test would just be a waste of time. It was hard for others not to notice just how sick Carol was. Her weight had dropped dramatically, and she weighed only 87 pounds. Carol's terrible condition reminded Frida of how sick Frank was before he died, and she remembered that Marie had given him injections for his nausea. Frida had always thought the injections were strange, but she brushed it off at the time. But now she was suspicious. So she decided to call Mike and ask if Marie gave Carol similar shots. But Mike didn't know, so he called up Carol to ask her. And when Mike called, Marie was actually in the room with Carol. He asked if she was giving her shots at home, but Carol hesitantly responded no. It was very apparent to Mike that his sister wasn't telling the truth, and he asked her if she was lying. Carol then took a breath and said yes. Mike obviously was pretty suspicious after this, but he didn't jump to conclusions, so he called the regional medical center and asked if Marie was authorized to give Carol injections. Of course, when the doctors heard this, they were completely shocked. They told Mike that Marie was absolutely not allowed to administer any shots to Carol. Mike then called the Anison Police Department. To a surprise, the officer said they were actually close to arresting Marie for fraudulent activity already. And within a matter of hours, Carol was back in the hospital. But this time, Marie took her to the University of Alabama Medical Center. So one doctor ended up noticing that Carol's fingernails had this distinctive line pattern on them. If you're watching on Spotify or YouTube, you can see the picture. It's kind of, it almost looks like a shell, like just lines repeating. 
And he recognized this right away as arsenic poisoning. He began running tests on Carol while she was laying sick in bed. And just as this doctor became suspicious of poisoning, the Aniston Police Department arrested Marie for passing bad checks on September 19, 1979. Marie told Carol that the arrest was just a misunderstanding. On October 3, 1979, the Alabama Department of Forensic Sciences tested Carol's hair. And the toxicology report came back and showed that Carol had more than 100 times the normal level of arsenic in her system. Arsenic naturally occurs in soil, water, and air, so a low level would not have triggered a physical response. But there was no doubt that Carol had been poisoned. She began treatment right away, and thankfully, Carol survived. If you think this is the end of the craziness, it is not. More to come on Marie when we come back from our last ad break. You guys. So, when the family found out that Carol was being poisoned, that's when the alarm bells went off. Frank had been sick with the exact same symptoms as Carol. Not only that, but a handful of other family members, including Mike, had a history of sudden severe illnesses that had no clear cause. Besides the symptoms, there was one constant in each illness. Marie. The family came to the shocking realization that Marie had been poisoning all of them for years. She'd even caused Terry's miscarriage and killed Frank. Isn't that fucking sick? Oh my God. She killed her husband. She almost killed her daughter, almost killed her son, killed her grandchild. Doesn't (sighs) care. No, she almost killed Terry as well. It's crazy. Psychopath. Mm Mm-hmm. Mike contacted the district attorney's office and theorized that his mom was poisoning the family. They actually exhumed Frank's body and he tested positive for extreme amounts of arsenic in his system. Mm, Shocker. Lucille's body was also exhumed and tested positive for arsenic as well. Although her cause of death was breast cancer, the arsenic made her health condition way worse. Killed her own mother. God. Savage. And then they exhumed Sonia's body as well but she tested positive for a normal amount of arsenic. It's suspected, though, that Marie was poisoning her and several other people. What's also crazy, too, is that the police officers Marie gave food and coffee to always felt sick after leaving her house. And what would be the point of poisoning them? She just likes doing it. Yeah, she gets off on it. Yeah, clearly. I mean, serial killer vibes here. Mm. And even when neighborhood kids would come over to the house and eat Marie's food, They went home with upset stomachs and diarrhea. Although everyone knew Marie was behind the poisonings, Frida was determined to prove it. While Marie sat in jail on fraud charges, she dug through her home and found a pill bottle. She took it to the police and they confirmed that it contained arsenic. On October 9th, 1979, Marie was charged with attempted murder of her daughter and the murder of her husband. She sat in jail for a month before being released on a $14,000 bail. Why? Just why would you let? I don't understand. Her lawyer brought her to a neighboring town and put her in a hotel where she would await her first trial. But on November 18th, 1979, of course, Marie disappeared. Her lawyer found a note in her hotel room. It said that Marie had been kidnapped and warned him not to try and find her. Of course. Police quickly analyzed the handwriting and found that it matched Marie's. Shocker. Then they discovered that Marie had stolen her aunt and uncle's car and driven to Georgia. The police didn't know it then, but Marie had taken off to Florida. So Marie was now a fugitive, and there was a massive manhunt following her disappearance. 
Marie actually left Alabama and started a new life in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, living as Robbie Hannon. In 1980, Robbie met a man at a bar named John Homan, and the two began dating. The relationship progressed pretty quickly, and eventually Robbie asked John to move to New Hampshire with her. She said that it was her dream to live somewhere snowy in a cabin. So Robbie, a.k.a. Marie, and John got married and moved to Marlowe, New Hampshire. So Robbie got a job working as a secretary in the town of Keene. She worked there for a year, but in 1982, she made a sudden announcement to John and her coworkers. She told them that she had a rare blood disease and needed to go to her home state of Texas to get a special kind of treatment. She also said she had a twin sister named Terry that she wanted to spend time with. Three months went by and nobody heard from Robbie until one day, John got a call from her twin sister, Terry, and she told him that Robbie had died and her body was donated to science. Which, can you even imagine getting that phone call? Yeah. This woman who you believe is Robbie died mm-hmm. and her body was donated to science on this trip to Texas. Like, what? Doesn't so make any sense. Random. So, Terry then explained that Robbie's dying wish was for her sister to go meet John. A few days later, Terry shows up at John's house and he invited her in and she ended up living with John. So obviously this person is Marie and he didn't even notice the difference between Robbie and her sister, Terry. She even visited Robbie's old office and Terry told all of Robbie's coworkers the same story. Her sister suddenly died from a rare blood disease. Terry was blonde, but she looked very similar to her twin sister. She was able to play off the whole twin thing after she lost weight and changed her hair color. But Robbie's coworkers didn't believe Terry's story. They thought that Robbie faked her own death and was pretending to be a twin sister that didn't actually exist. They were pretty spot on with that. But little did they know, Robbie wasn't a real person either. The coworkers contacted local authorities in January of 1983. The New Hampshire police looked into Robbie and discovered that the facts here didn't match up. They tracked down Robbie slash Terry slash Marie, and she immediately confessed that she was not who she said she was. She even asked to go into the station and tell the police everything. At the station, she revealed that her name was actually Marie, Marie Hilly, and she was wanted in Alabama for fraud. She mentioned nothing about the poisonings, though, and the murder. The authorities contacted the FBI and they ran her name through their database and discovered that she was wanted for far worse charges than fraud. She immediately was extradited back to Alabama. John was also brought in for questioning and he claimed that he knew nothing about her real identity. Even though he had just gotten the shocking news that his wife was a liar and a murderer, he continued to show her support before her upcoming trial. Marie's second trial took place on May 30th, 1983. In order to escape the death penalty, Marie pleaded guilty to all charges, and she was placed in Calhoun County Jail, this time with the bail set at more than $300,000. And on June 7, 1983, Marie was convicted and sentenced to life in prison for the murder of Frank, plus 20 additional years for the attempted murder of Carol. But Marie wasn't finished. After four years in prison, Marie befriended the warden. She told him a sob story about how she had been framed for killing her husband, and she was convincing about it too. Although the warden couldn't change her sentence, he felt that she was eligible for a three-day unsupervised pass out of jail. Kid you not. So in February of 1987, Marie was picked up by her husband, John, and the couple spent three days at a boarding house in Aniston. 
The morning she was set to return to prison, Marie asked John if she could make a quick stop at her mother's grave. It was only a few miles down the road, and she promised that she'd come back soon so he could drive her back to jail. So John agreed. Whoops. As you can probably guess, Marie never came back. She went on the run again, and the police immediately took to the streets to look for her. But a few days went by without any sign of Marie. It was a cold, rainy month, and temperatures were dangerously low. The police didn't think that Marie could have gone very far, given the harsh weather conditions. One night, a woman in Aniston noticed that a woman had actually collapsed on her back deck. She was bruised and covered in blood, and the woman thought the stranger was a transient woman that needed medical care, so she called the police. An ambulance showed up at the house, and they discovered that the sick woman was Marie Hilly. Her body was giving in to all those nights out in the cold. She had a convulsion, went unconscious, and suffered a heart attack. And unfortunately, Marie's victims never got the justice they deserved because Marie died of hypothermia on her way to the hospital on February 26, 1987, at 53 years old. Due to the excessive poisoning that Carol experienced, she had issues walking for a while, but eventually these issues got better and she now lives a very normal life in Alabama. She seems like a really nice woman, too. Yeah, she's definitely done interviews and, you know, mm-hmm. there's a whole book written about this case. Yeah. Yep. And there's there's a couple just clips of her interviews on YouTube if you want to check them out. It's pretty wild hearing it from her point of view. I don't think we can include them because of copyright, but. I mean, it's just such a crazy story. The book's called Poison Blood, by the way, mm-hmm. by Philip uh, Ginsburg. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's just why? I know. What's the motive? I mean, it's just like something's she's spoiled and entitled and she just expects all this money and to be taken care of and not have to do anything. I mean, clearly a narcissist. Yeah. Um, But I think she also just had a sick. Yeah. There's. Yeah. I mean, for all we know, was she poisoning herself the whole time? Maybe that was like dementing her brain. (laughs) There's a theory. (laughs) Or was she doing something? Because it's just like it doesn't make something. I don't know. It's like she was poisoning everybody. She seemed, from what we know, to have like a pretty normal childhood. She yeah, really I mean, started she was all this shit. Kind of given the like world. Frank. Yeah. 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 She was spoiled as a kid and kind of entitled. Or it's just like one of those people that are just kind of born evil, you know, and they. Yeah. They enjoy lying. They, they get enjoy, a rush enjoy. from watching mm-hmm. people suffer and yep. slowly but your own die. Family members. Yeah, it's cold. I mean, man. that shows you just have no connection to anyone. Her mother, no her father, her daughter, her son, her her grandchild, her daughter-in-law. I mean, just used everybody. Everyone in her life. Expendable. That's for money. Mind blowing. It really is. What people will do for money and just to like give themselves a lavish <laughs> life and and then the, insane. the ending scheme to go and try yeah. and pretend you have a twin sister, fake your death, and then come back and date the same guy as the twin. And the fact that he didn't realize it was the same person. Yeah, I feel I don't like, I don't know. What? She's like the greatest actor of all time then. Apparently. Like last week with Daniel Wozniak and Rachel May spoke. Buffett, the worst actors of all time. Oh yeah. And they claim to be professionals. Mm-hmm. And then we have Marie over here who is a, a very good actor. I mean, she's able wow. to convince everybody. Manipulate yeah, I people. I guess so. For for a long time she really was able to get away with it. She it's has crazy. murder charges. Even the police. Yeah, the police, she uh, convinces the warden to let her out on a three-day vacation mm-hmm. from jail. Is that and a they, thing? No. I know. What the fuck That's is like a that? special, special, they do furlough sometimes for funerals, yeah. things like of that. Course. But usually that's supervised. Like there's yeah. police that go with you 
to that. And that this unsupervised, just like get out of jail for three uh-huh. days and make sure you come back. Of this serial killer. <laughs> and like she already escaped before. It's just crazy. I yeah. Know. I mean, serial killers escape all the time. I mean, look at Ted Bundy. And the fact that they kept coming back to her house after she's claiming all these ridiculous things. It's cl- The phone calls were so clearly her coming from her work. And the fact that they would stop whenever they would put the trace on the phone and they still didn't connect the dots. I mean, as long this as she was is, like uh, sleeping with yeah. one of them and making them some food, they were like, whatever. This is classic. Fire like, closet, closet yeah. or fire in the closet. Yeah. It's just This is just wow. classic 60s, 70s police work yeah. and investigation. I yep. mean, this is what happened. Could you get away then. with this today? No. Probably not. No. And doctors would have diagnosed Probably this far not. sooner through drug screens that we have today. I mean, the fact that they... Yeah. It took that long. I mean, Carol nearly died uh-huh. from arsenic poisoning. And Frank died yep. from that. Yep. And yet they still took so long to figure out what was wrong with her until the point she was literally probably near death. Yep. And they finally figured and out that it was arsenic. Just straight up ran him over before any of that. Psycho, man. <laughs> yeah, Psycho. Psycho serial killer, pretty much. Interesting case, though. Yeah. Definitely a very wild one. Let us know your thoughts on Marie, though. For sure. I want to hear. We'll go ahead and wrap up today's episode there. Thanks for watching and listening to another episode of the Mile Higher Podcast. Make sure you're following us on Spotify. That is the premier place to enjoy podcasts these days. Videos mm-hmm. there as well now. I actually really prefer watching podcasts on Spotify. I've yeah. always been like a YouTube podcast person, but now that Spotify's got the video, it's, cool. it's a better platform to watch on. Well, like what's great I too is like it works It works so much better in your car too. Yeah. With Apple CarPlay and Android Auto, mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. it actually plays through the Spotify app now, which is cool. So, yeah, yeah, it's uh, way better. It is a much better experience. Definitely check that out. But yeah, we'll be back next week with another episode. Until then, keep taking your mind a mile higher.